PJ Coogan and Kitchen Table Productions present 20 Minutes With, a short podcast for a busy world. Hello and welcome to your latest episode of 20 Minutes With. Today my guest is an old friend of mine, but when I tell you that even I've learned a heck of a lot about her, then you'll see why I've had to spread this interview over two episodes. Karen Underwood is from Chicago. She moved to Ireland in the 90s and is now one of the most respected soul and gospel singers in her adopted country. But there's more to Karen, much more. There's activism, there's passion for what she does, and there's one heck of a life story. I started by asking her about coming to Ireland in the first place. I arrived on the 1st of December, 1997, and um, at the time I was with uh, my husband working for a multinational corporation called Motorola. And um, when I first arrived, uh, we we arrived on the right side of the economic, social economic coin, I like to say, and that, you know, a limo collected us from Cork Airport, and I was sitting in the back of limbo. I had a huge bunch of flowers with all sorts of treats and things, or kind of a care package, and I was welcome to Cork. And I was looking out of the window, it was December, and I don't remember what flowers they were exactly, maybe would have been planted a bit early, I don't know, um, and I remember looking outside at all the green and the flowers, and I turned to my former husband, and I said, I'm never going back. That quick? That day. I had a, I had a, a, a connection with Ireland the moment I landed. Um, you know, I grew up at a time when, you know, racism was big in Chicago and busing, and I came through all of that. Uh, very, very involved heavily with religion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, zealot, a religious zealot, really. And um, I had no idea of what living was outside of that mm-hmm. context. And uh, so... Oh, was that the context in which you'd met and, and married him? That's the context. I would have met my former husband when I was seven years of age. I would have married him when I was 19 years of age. We would have started dating when I was 15. And um, to say that, oh my gosh, you know, from 19 to 25 is a big jump in who you are. 25 to 35, another big jump. And I came here, um, like I said, in 1997 with him. Very much, he was still very much involved with the church, as was I. And then I started to see holes in it. Because I didn't come here to work. I came here to live. He came here to work. So something came alive in me. That sense of needing to be connected to other people. That sense of needing to socialize. Mm. Where else could you be? But you really landed on your feet when you when you get to Ireland, mm. and particularly when you come to Cork. And was that something that wasn't part of your life growing up? No, I wouldn't have been allowed to go into really a bar, a nightclub, take a drink, say a prof- word of profanity without being hugely frowned upon. That because of color. That because of religion. Religion. Mm. Religion. You know, in, in my church of origin, you you you, you know, women. Uh, submit to their husbands. Uh, you don't usurp authority over a man in any way, shape, or form. Um, you, you know, I was very obedient, but there was a fire in my belly. Yeah, the, the woman we know now, 
Forgive me, I can't understand how you ever were that way, because that's not you, Karen. I had a fear in me of hell, an actual fear of sin, hell, you know, sexual behavior, whether it be premarital sex or that I discovered that I was lesbian. And I'll come to that probably later on. But yeah, I came here and I just wanted to toe the line. I wanted to save my marriage, which is already in trouble. And the romanticism of being in a foreign country, having access to the whole of Europe, would kind of give me a boost, I felt, in my marriage and keep me as a family with my two children and with my husband at the time. And they were five and six when we came over. So I was very, very adamant about, you know, being the best wife that I could be. But I was going to a church where there were six people sometimes, maybe nine people, maybe 12 on a good Sunday. And it was one of these churches that taught um, they were the only church which was going to heaven. And I, I believe that. You've got to understand, I started this at seven, so the brainwashing mm. had started then. Indoctrination. The indoctrination. Brainwashing wouldn't be accurate. Indoctrination. And uh, so what happened really was I was invited by my neighbors as sort of the interesting, different, exotic people that had moved to Cork. And I had a house in Black Rock. And one of the women that invited me to dinner is the owner of a restaurant here in Cork mm. that I just adore, um, her business and what she does. And she was my next door neighbor. It was Jack's, and I loved the food there, mm. loved the restaurant, loved the person, loved the family. And uh, she invited me to a dinner party. And there was a sing song at the dinner party. And I sang, of course, I was called to sing first. Now, that probably was because of my color. There's mm. an assumption that all black people sing, and we have this Southern tradition, and blah, 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 and I was going to break on this big soul mm. rendition of yeah. Aretha Franklin. And no, I sang Barbara Streisand. Mm. I sang Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. And uh, you could hear a pin drop in the room. And it was a game called The Noble Call. Yeah. And... So someone else said, sing another song. And I said, but that's not, the, that's not the game. The game is I get to pick now. Oh, come on. Oh, come on, girl. Oh, come on. And at this stage, I probably had taken a drink, mm -hmm. which was frowned upon. Um, and I sang an Aretha Franklin song. I did sing Then Natural Woman. And the women kind of sussing that my discomfort of coming out of my shell, this sort of coming out of this cocoon, this 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 caterpillar, uh, and the, the fear of it. Even at a distance, there was a fear. Well, you the see... The distance from Chicago, there, there was a fear. That's right, but my husband was still... He was in the room, was he? Very, yeah, he was at the party, and, and still I had a certain way I needed to behave, right. and an expectation of being um, honorable and being, you know, sort of discreet, and that, that thing which characterizes Christianity in that faith. And the women said they were going to go in the kitchen. And I said, I'd help bring the dishes in. Oh, great. And he dragged me into the kitchen. He said, we're going to bring you to a nightclub. <laughs> there's a nightclub in Cork. And um, there's a soul band you need to meet. Right. And they were playing at the back of the Half Moon, which is the back of the Opera House. And I said, I won't be able to go because I'm not allowed to go to a night. You're not allowed. You see, because I had been told 
at Motorola through one of the cultural awareness seminars that Irish women were very uh, submissive. It was a patriarchal society. Um, if I was to go to a pub, I was to order a glass of beer, not a pint. If the postman came calling and said, Haya, is the boss here? I was to say, you know, I had three choices. Who's the boss? Um, I'm the boss. Or the boss isn't in, but will I do? And the answer I was told is, the boss isn't in, but will I do? So that was my expectation. So everything was happening so fast. It was like, these are not the women that were described to me. This one owns a restaurant. The one next door owned five shops. They were very strong, independent women. And I wasn't going to fit in. Mm. You know, I really wasn't going to fit in the way I was. And that really wasn't who I was, you mm. know. But I didn't know this. You hadn't discovered the fire in your belly yet, I, had you? I, I, had you suppressed it? I had suppressed the fire in my belly. You see, because I was a singer from primary school, secondary school, got married right after secondary school, pretty much, and I stopped singing. Mm. So all the roles that I played in all of the school plays, even the professional role that I had in Chicago for a summer, that was all finished now because I was married. And my job was to make my husband happy. Singing was gone. Singing was gone. You Completely. must have missed it desperately, given how much you love it now. I still love it. I didn't even know I missed it because life was happening. Life was happening and fear was in there. You know, there was a fear that if I became a singer, even in my family of origin, that I would be given into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, that was the idea that if I pursued a career in music, it would be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Your Irish friends might say, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or what, uh, what actually, I was given into sex, that's for sure, but not the rock and roll or the drugs part necessarily. But um, yeah, so I, I became, I became a different person. And well, then these I, difficult years, Karen. You know, I had an underlying depression that I was completely unaware of. I didn't know. I didn't know I was depressed. I was unable to make a decision. Mm. I was unable to stick to anything I started. I was, you know, busy, busy, busy like this sort of hamster on a, a treadmill thinking that if I just kept working harder at my marriage, if I just did everything I could to make him happy, then he would in return make me happy. Mm. That's didn't, what I... didn't work. That, it doesn't work for anyone. That's not how marriage works. You know, marriage is not a 50-50 deal. Mm. It's a 90-10, an 80-20, a 70-30. And I didn't know that. I was, I got married young. I was, mm. you know, and I did some things that I wouldn't necessarily be proud of today. Mm. But it was, it was necessary things that I had to do. When then did Karen, did it end amicably or did it not, no? It did not. Um, I have absolutely no relationship with him because I'm lesbian because I heard him. Um, I, I refused to go back to Chicago. Mm. My children had spent more time in Ireland than they had in Chicago. I was in love with my current wife. Um, so much had happened, and it happened very quickly. Within the first year or so of me moving to Ireland, I had met the love of my life. Let me, may, may I ask, and if it's not too personal, how did you... How did it occur to you that, that, that you might be lesbian? And it's, it's, it's a funny thing because uh, I say latent homosexuality as they, as, they, 
as they as they label it, is a very bizarre mm -hmm. um, thing. I would have been in my twenties, early twenties, and and women would have found me attractive, mm -hmm. so that I couldn't be friends with those, with that group of women because I'm not gay. I didn't want to be gay. Homosexuals are going to hell. It's it's a depraved lifestyle. It's you you know you're 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 on the peripheral of society. I didn't want that. This is what you had been brought up to believe. Yeah, and it's what I truly believed in my heart. I remember even moving to Cork, and ninety six FM had a a discussion one morning about um, the relation and sexuality education. Yeah. Uh, was coming into play and about teaching children about mommy and mommy families and daddy and daddy families. And I'm like, oh no, you won't be teaching my kids about mommy and mommy families and daddy and daddy families because that's, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. I'll teach my kids about sex. Anyway, you're Catholic and you have totally repressed your sexuality, so there's no way I'm going to allow you to teach my... And I said that on, on the radio, that it was just, you know, it wasn't going to happen. And this is before, obviously, I met the love of my life. But anyway, in the course of working uh, in Chicago and meeting other women who were lesbian, I remember one friend I had for, for a long time, a matter of months, and we went to Wendy's, you know, for a burger one day for, on a lunch break. And she said, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? And she says, I'm lesbian. And I said, oh. And she said, is that a problem? And I was like, it's not right. She's like, are you for real? And, I, and so we ended the conversation with, can I have a hug? Because she thought, you know, I'm going to lose my friend. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't hug you. No. I, see, this is what I mean. And this is what people have often said. You know, uh, you throw a brick at a house, the dog that hollers the loudest has been hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. And in some way, she had touched on a nerve. She had touched on a nerve, but I didn't even know that. Mm. I was so anti, anti that it, I couldn't be gay. No way. And then um, later on in my life, I say in my later 20s, a woman propositioned me. Mm. And I suppose I was going to go for it. But then I decided I can't do that because I'm not gay. So I told my husband about it and, you know, he dealt with the situation and I didn't have to deal with it. So I guess somewhere in me, all along, I had a struggle with it, but I wouldn't have identified it as being gay because I'd never touched a woman, kissed nothing, had no experience whatsoever. And then I, I come to Cork and I go to the Chamber of Commerce, to the, the Women's Coffee Morning in the Chamber of Commerce. Now, this particular coffee morning was for a particular type of woman. So now we're talking about the ladies who lunch, I like to call them. So we would have had all had husbands who have been executives with various corporations in Ireland and, and in Cork, and I want to fit in. So I went to the coffee morning, and, you know, prior to that, I'd been to another coffee morning in a house and met a lo lot, lot of lovely ladies, and they were going to Jameson to the tastings and going on these lovely trips, and I wanted to be a part. I wanted friends. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I had even learned in the cultural awareness seminar was if I wanted friends in Ireland... I better learn how to make a proper pot of tea. <laughs> so I was determined to bake a proper pot of tea, but then I got invited to a coffee morning. So that just threw me into a loop, you know? And that poor woman, I remember arriving at her house, and it must have been 9 o'clock in the morning. Her kids had just 
walked out the door to school and that coffee morning started at 10. But I was so anxious to learn how to make a cup of coffee so I could get some friends that I showed up very early to her house. And she eventually showed me, but it was about five to 10 and it wasn't tea leaves. Like I was told it was Barry's tea. And I thought, wow, I'm not going to have any friends using a tea bag. They told me it had to be a proper pot of tea, but I was so removed from life and from, from living anyway. So I go to this coffee morning in the chamber of commerce and somehow I look across the room and I see this woman. I was like, I wonder if she a dyke. She didn't. I did. I did. Um, and um, I said, what are you thinking that for? You're not a dyke. And, I'm, and I walk away and I move away and I get away from her. And I, you know, do not want, you know, really to, to associate. Because something's coming up in me and I have to push it down. I have to push it down. And, um, of course, she came up and spoke to me, and I spoke to her, and we became friends. And I say within a year or so, um, we have started a relationship. Now I have the complication of, okay, so I'm going to hell, and I'm on the express train to hell. I'm not even on the, on the slow bus. I'm on the express train. And I'm enjoying the trip. And I'm, and I'm enjoying the trip, so I'm in big trouble now. And uh, my, my kids you know, can never know this. So this is going to be a fling. This is going to be a fling. That's it. And it's not really adultery because it's not with a man and blah, blah, blah. And actually it was, it was adultery. It wasn't a fling. I had fallen hopelessly in love. And as a result, and this is the part where I have to take personal responsibility for my actions. Just because I could not come to terms with my own sexuality, it did not give me the right to hurt my husband, mm. to, you know, to, to, to live a lie, basically. Now, there's no need for me to spend minutes describing that marriage and the abuse that I would have endured in that marriage mm. in terms of mental abuse, because it was there. But that doesn't justify my actions. Mm-hmm. And I believe that now, and I live by that now. And so one of the things that I've done is I asked his forgiveness I asked for the forgiveness of my wife's former husband. And I live a life that would be a life of fidelity. Mm-hmm. I'm faithful to the woman that I love. Mm. Um, it's called making amends. Yeah. And it's a living amends yeah. that I make for the hurts that I caused previously. Now, you know, now that I've done that and I live that life, you believe me, you. I'm making no apologies yeah. to anyone yeah. for who I am. And I am alive. And it was that woman in that kitchen that bought me the book Blue Blue for You by Nina Simone, I think it was. Was it that one? No, Put a Spell on You by Nina, written about Nina, the life of Nina Simone. And she bought me the album Blue for You, the yellow album with all the hits on it. Because I didn't know who Nina Simone was. And that was beginning a, another chapter in my career. It started with, you know, uh, the flying monkeys singing in the back of the opera house and taking gigs and having a bit of crack. And I was doing this for a couple of years while he was still here and we were still in a marriage and I was inviting him to gigs, but he would never go to a gig, Mm. you see, because of the environment and because part of him probably was afraid he would lose me to that life, which he did, Mm. but not to that life, but to a different life. And, um, I then, you know, discovered the music of Nina Simone through my wife and she bought me these lovely gifts and then she booked tickets for a Nina Simone concert. 
I went to see Nina Simone live in the point in Dublin because the first time I heard her saying it was on night train on the radio and she was like, Karen, do you know this singer? I was like, what's his name? She said, you can't be serious. He is. I said, it's a man. She said, no, it's Nina Simone. I said, well, she said, you don't know Nina Simone? I said, no. And then I went to study about her life and she would have left America very early on because of tax evasion and other problems. And also she was tired of fighting that racist, political, personal struggle. Did you see something, because you went on to do a whole show about her, did, did, right. you, did you see something in Nina that you resonated with? Absolutely. Nina had the, uh, I, like changing her name even to Nina Simone came about because she didn't want her mother to know she was performing in a nightclub. Mm. So she was in, I believe, the Church of God in Christ, which is the closest thing you would find to really strict right-wing Southern Baptist church and just very, very strict uh, to feeling that every note that she sang that wasn't to the Lord was was not acceptable, mm. was was not okay. Whereas me, I got away with it because as a young person, it wasn't the nightclub scene. It was the theater. Mm. It was a theater scene that I was in. So that was, a, that was okay mm. to sing that type of secular music. Nightclubs were dirty places. But nightclubs, I mean, my goodness, where people are bumping and grinding and <laughs> laughing and drinking and having a great time. God forbid. Yeah. God forbid, you know, it's a sin. <laughs> so I couldn't be doing any of that, you know. So mm. I, Nina's life resonated with me. She was in a relationship that was uh, not only psychologically abusive but physically abusive. She, you know, she wanted to have that relationship with her family and be there, but, but it, it was very difficult being a person who sang secular music at that time. So yeah, Nina, Nina's life resonated with me. Nina's life in that she had that struggle of being a black American. I lived that struggle. In the second part of this episode, Karen talks more about the struggle of growing up a black woman in America, how one special Irish-American friend helped her to cope, and how her experiences shape her life, her work and her music. Karen is the organiser of Cork's Soul in the City Festival. She'll tell me more about that too. Please do share the links, continue to spread the word, and remember, you can catch up on previous episodes by subscribing for free on Spotify, Apple, Google or wherever you get your downloads. I'll be back with part two of my interview with Karen Underwood around the same time next Saturday. Till then, take care. Thank you for listening to 20 Minutes With, a short podcast for a busy world. Please help to spread the word and watch social media for news of our next episode.